Well, good morning, Salem. It's good to be with you all on this Thanksgiving weekend. My name's Sean, and I am one of the pastors here, and I have the pleasure of working with our teenagers. Did you all uh, have a good Thanksgiving weekend? Did you eat? Did you eat as much turkey as me? Yeah, that's thank you. Thank you. Probably not. You're right. Uh, Did you eat more vegetables than me? Yeah, probably. Yes. You're you're onto my game already. Um, Well, either way, I'm glad you woke up from your food coma and joined us for worship. Uh, This morning, if you don't normally worship here, I want to extend you a special welcome. I know it can be hard to come into a new place, even if you're here with friends or family, and so we want to make you feel comfortable and welcome here at Salem. And we're going to be continuing our sermon series called Rules to Live By, and we're in our third and final week before we enter into the Advent season when we're doing a series called Unexpected, and we hope that you'll join us for that. And speaking of that, we're going to be decorating this place for that Advent season, and we want to invite you out to, to come do that. That's going to be today, right after all of the 1045 services are over. So if you enjoyed the music as much as I did, and you're going to enjoy the sermon as much as I will, then maybe you can just stay for the 1045, and then come and decorate the church with us afterward. We're going to make it look great. That's going on all across the church, so we would love to have you. We're going to have food here for you as well. Um, that's just going to be an awesome time, so please um, come with us. But today, we're going to be concluding a series uh, where we're talking about John Wesley, who's the founder of Methodism. You should probably know that by now if you've been here. Um, And and we talked about in the first week, the first rule, which he said is to do no harm. And Tim talked about how so often the spirit of Christ has a different uh, inclination than our own physical bodies, and that we have to live our lives as a sacrifice. And that as Christians, we're marked by the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you guys know the song to that one? Do you guys see some heads on it? That's how I still know all those. It's originally from the song. And last week, we talked about the second rule, which is to do good. And Tim said that we are all different from the world, and we are on earth to make a difference. But for anything like me, uh, you feel like Christianity can often be perceived as, as a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? If you're a Christian, you can't do that, and you have to do that, and you can't do this, and you have to do that. But if you're a Christian, you should know that that's not really what it's all about. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And yes, we do things, and we don't do things because we want to honor Jesus with the way that we live, and we, we want our relationship to grow in him. And so when we talk about rules to live by, that should be a stipulation that we understand. It's not that... These are the things I have to do in order to be a Christian, but these are the things that I do once I have that relationship to cultivate a relationship with Jesus, to love him even more. And we discussed a little bit the journey of John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church. Um, and as you can imagine, as Methodists, we, we love rules, right? We, we do things in a very methodical way. That's why we're called Methodists. Actually, at first, they, people called Methodists that humorously because they're like, oh, they're, they're Methodists. They just have a very methodical way of doing things. Do you guys like rules? Who's a rule follower? Raise your hand. I see some heads. we got some rule followers. Okay. I'm not, uh, and that's okay. But we do have some rule followers, so you're in the right place, the Methodist Church, if you're a rule follower, so welcome. And as you can imagine, John Wesley loved rules. He loved rules. He lived for rules. In fact, rules are the way that he tried to spread Christianity. You have to do this. You have to not do that. You have to do this. If you want to be a Christian, this is what you have to do. Toe the line. Do this. Do that. But he had limited success in spreading Christianity that way. It wasn't until he he felt his heart strangely warmed and met Jesus intimately that Methodism started to spread. And today we're going to be looking at this third guideline, which is to stay in love with God. And in this third guideline, if we don't follow this one, 
the other two don't really have a whole lot of meaning. Because if I do good and I do no harm, but I don't love Jesus, what is that to God? Not a whole lot. So this is the most important one of all. And today we're going to learn that you can't be in love unless you're all in. Can we say that together? You can't be in love unless you're all in. But before we dive in, uh, let's start with prayer. God, we approach you in worship this morning. And as we do that, let us bow our hearts before you, our King, knowing that you love us more and better than anyone or anything in this world could possibly provide for us. Let us respond to the love you have given each of us with love in return. If we're in this place and we've yet to fall in love with you, let us do that. Break through in this place this morning. And if we have fallen in love with you, let us know, let us learn how we can stay in love with you, knowing that your love never fails us and never will fail us, even when we fail you sometimes. Let us leave this place challenged, yet encouraged by what you have to say. God, please get me out of my way and fill me with Jesus. Let me be a vessel for your saving message this morning to this community. Amen. I think, I think our culture has done a terrible job at teaching us what love is. Would you guys agree with that? Uh, I, I've, never, I've never been referred to as a romantic before. I think, I think my wife only uses that term sarcastically when describing me, and that's okay. However, in my defense, I will say that we start Christmas season on Black Friday. That's what we do in my house. Some people wait till December. Some people, it's like December 24th. It's like, guys, really, it's not even Christmas yet. Can we cool it with the music and the movies and stuff? And then it's like the 26th, and they're like, all right, can we get over it? That's not me. I, I will say unashamedly that we watch Hallmark movies in my house dur during the Christmas season. I love it. Thank you. That's okay. We can cheer for Hallmark. It's fine. I love it. But, you know, not a lot of guys like sap, so I only like it in this time of year. I can't watch those movies any other time, but if it revolves around Christmas, I love it. I can't get enough of it. I love the sap. The Hallmark movies, the Christmas classics, the Christmas movies, all the, all the sappy traditions, I love it. I would go look a pine cone outside if it would get me the sap I needed to get through the Christmas season. And I'm unashamed. Uh, my wife may be a little bit ashamed, but I'm not. And that's fine. I love it. And in my house, we have like a hierarchy of Christmas movies. Do you guys do this too? Like these are the ones that are like heralded above all the other Christmas movies. We're not going to get into that argument today other than to say that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, okay? So if you're like, Die Hard's my favorite, it's not. It came out in July. That's not a Christmas movie. It's not. But what makes these movies so great, what makes these movies so great is they give us the warm fuzzies, right? Like, we love it. Some of, us, some of us love that all the time. Some of us only, like me, love it some of the time. Some of us hate that we love it, and some of us love to hate it, right? But no matter what, it gives us the warm fuzzies, and we like it. But the problem is, is that's the wrong picture of what love really is, Right? Because our, 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 what, what that teaches us is, is an understanding of love that's this warm feeling we get around someone who makes us happy, right? It tells us that what happens on the outside affects what happens on the inside, and that's what love is. But today we're going to learn that God says it's what happens on the inside that affects the outside is truly what love is. 
And so when we lose this feeling, when we have this perception of love as a warm fuzzy, eventually we lose it. Eventually it goes away. And this is when we say, oh, I've, I've fallen out of love, right? I've fallen out of love. I'm not feeling it anymore. Whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship, eventually we get beyond the honeymoon stage. And love stops being convenient. And sometimes that's when we say, well, I, I fell out of love. And it's not really true because at that moment, it's actually we're realizing that it never was love in the first place. Because we can't be in love unless we're all in. Our scripture reading today has something to say about love. It comes from the book of Revelation. Don't be scared. It's Revelation. It's fine. We're going to get through it together. We're going to get through this together. This is why we do things as a community as the church, right? It is scary, but it's going to be fine. Because if it was that scary, I wouldn't have picked it. You know what I mean? But what's happening here is we're, we're seeing a vision from Christ to the Apostle John, who's generally attributed to have written the book of Revelation. And he's writing this particular passage to the church in Laodicea, the city of Laodicea which is in modern-day Turkey, and it's actually one of the first Christian communities that we can trace back to, like as far back as 50 AD. So this is one of the very earliest churches. And here's what Jesus has to say through this vision of John in chapter 3. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. After all, you say, I'm rich, and I've grown wealthy, and I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're miserable, pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. Whew. Pulling no punches. But Jesus says, my advice is that you buy gold from me that has been purified by fire so that you may be rich. And buy white clothing to wear so that your nakedness won't be shamefully exposed. And ointment to put on your eyes so that you may see. I correct and discipline those whom I love. So be earnest and change your hearts and lives. Look, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to be with them. And will have dinner with them and they will have dinner with me. As for those who emerge victorious, I will allow them to sit with me on my throne. Just as I emerged victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So the passage begins by, by saying that Christ knows our works. And if we've talked about how love isn't a feeling as much as it is an action, that love always is defined not by how it feels, but what it does. If Christ knows our works, then Christ also knows our hearts. And he says that our love is lukewarm. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone into Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or Panera, wherever you get your Panera? I'm from St. Louis, and I just said Panera. Have so you ever gone to Breadco? And be like, oh, I need a lukewarm cup of coffee. You can tell I don't go to Starbucks because no one just says a cup of coffee when they order something. It's much more complicated than that. That's it's fine. But no, you don't. You don't do that, right? Did Elvis ever write a song about a hunk, a hunk of lukewarm love? No. Because lukewarm things are the worst. And that's what Jesus says here. He says, your love is lukewarm. And it's lukewarm, so I'm going to spit it out of my mouth. And Jesus says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but not lukewarm. That seems weird, right? Because if I'm lukewarm, at least i got a little something going on. But Jesus says, no, hot or cold. 
I want you on fire, in love with me, with everything you do and everything you have, or I want you ice cold as if you couldn't care less about me. Why? Well, I think being hot is obvious, right? Because he knows that's what's best for our lives. But if we're cold, at least we have a chance to know something's wrong. But if we're lukewarm, we're like the church in Laodicea that's like, I'm fine, I'm rich, I've got money, I've got clothes. Everything's good for me. He wants us to be hot or cold. He knows lukewarm is a dangerous place to be because comfortable is a dangerous place to be in a relationship with Jesus. It's a dangerous place to be. And no one wants to follow a lukewarm person, right? Has anybody ever convinced you to go see a movie that you were just like, I've got to see it when they came out of it? And you were like, oh, how was it? And they were like, it was okay. You're just like, oh, I need to see it now. Of course not. But we follow people who are passionate on fire wherever we're following them. Sometimes people are just passionate and we follow them even if it's the wrong person to follow just because they're passionate. We don't follow lukewarm people. We only follow people who are all in. And we can't be in love unless we are all in. So how do we avoid growing tepid? Well, Christ offers us advice in this vision. It's important to know that Laodicea, who's being addressed in this message, was actually a very wealthy area. In fact, there was an earthquake that hit there, and it destroyed nearly the entire city. And Rome was like, okay, well, let's give you some funding, and you can, you can build your city back up. And they said, no, we're fine. We'll do it on our own. And they just used their own private funding to rebuild the entire city. So they're comfortable. They've got it going on. It was their wealth that got them comfortable. For you... It might be something else that's making you tepid. It might be control. It might be religious acts. It might be feigning faith during the Christmas season because it's what we do as Americans. Whatever it is, God is calling that out here. And he says, uncom- or he says comfortable is the wrong thing to be in a relationship with me. God says, if you want real wealth, buy gold from me. If you want clothes to put on your body, buy those clothes from me. If you want a life worth living, invest in me, not anything else, because I'm here for you. I've already made the first move. I've gone beyond halfway to you. I stand at the door and knock because I love you and I offer my grace to you every minute of every day. I love you and my love reveals itself through my actions, Jesus says. And I'm never going to stop chasing after you. I'm going to stand at this door and knock until you answer. You want real love? Then love me and love me completely. So I started to beg the question as I was putting this all together. It was kind of like how I I even asked Tim actually upstairs. And I said, "How, how can I hit three different audiences here? Because you have... The people who haven't really fallen in love with Jesus yet, so maybe staying in love isn't quite where it's at. They need to fall in love first. And then you have the people that maybe fell in love, and they're still on fire, and they're on fire for Jesus, so how do we continue to keep them encouraged? And then what about the people that fell in love with Jesus, but now they've grown tepid? So we have three different audiences here. So how do I tackle that in one message? First thought was like, well, just make it longer, (laughs) right? Everybody would like that. More of me, we got a winner, right? No doubt about it. 
No, but it, then it became very clear that the way we fall in love is the same way that we stay in love. We got a date. We got a date. We have to spend time devoted to the person in the, with the direction of our love. We have to spend time devoted to them. We have to do things that put that person ahead of all of the things in our life, no matter what. That's how we fall in love, and that's how we stay in love. Pastor Tim pretty regularly uses this phrase, and I'll never forget it. I love it so much. He always says, right action comes before right emotion. And God knows this, and that's why God says love is an action. It's not a feeling, because feelings change. But it is an action because we love most, most effectively and our relationships are developed most effectively when we're doing the loving and not just feeling the loving. We need to engage God in our love because we're incapable of relying on feelings to guide us through everything. If we want to love as Christ loves and we want to stay in love with God, the love we have has to come directly from its source, which is Jesus. So what you all do know about the series is that it's, uh, it's the three general rules of Wesley and how, of how we need to live as Christians. And the first one is, was to do no harm, and the second one was to do good. And you think the third one is to stay in love with God. That's what you think. What you don't know is that Wesley actually said the third, the third rule is to put on the ordinances of God. Put on the ordinances of God. So you're welcome for translating that into the 21st century. But what he meant by that is these are the things we do as Christians to stay in love with God. And he actually lists six things underneath these to do as Christians for us to stay in love with Jesus. The first one is the public worship of God. Look at you guys. One for one. Staying in love with Jesus. Great job. The second is the ministry of the word which means listening when the scriptures are being read and preached about. 40% of you, good job. Two for two. The third thing is the supper of the Lord. We're taking communion together. Come back next week and we'll take communion or come to our prayer service on Tuesdays. You can take communion there as well. The fourth thing is family and private prayer. We're a family and we've prayed together multiple times today. So three out of four, it's pretty good. But he says family and private prayer. Because praying together is great, but Jesus wants an intimate relationship with you. Not just your family, not just your church. He wants an intimate relationship with you. The fifth thing is searching the scriptures. Because listening to what Tim, Terry, Sheila, or Katrina, or I have to say is great. And I hope that that's been helpful in your faith journey. But again, God wants a personal relationship with you, and so you need to search the word for yourself to get to know God deeply and intimately. The sixth thing is fasting or abstinence. Not my sweet spot here. Uh, I'm married. So most of us try to think that that knocks out abstinence, right? Second thing is fasting. Clearly not all that regular of a practice for me. But I'd like to pick it up because what these, what, these, um, what these ordinances, as Wesley calls them, do for us is they make us rely on God through temptation, through fasting, or abstinence. Because if we want to fall and stay in love with God, we have to love God with our actions 
because we can't be in love unless we're all in. You see, the beautiful thing is, is that in your love story, God has already made the first move. Brittany made the first move in our relationship way back in the day, and it was great. It was awesome. Like, no, no, work, no work on my end. I just had to respond. It was great. But I imagine at some point, after she made the first move, if I didn't respond, she would have moved on at some point. No one's going to wait on this for too long. You know what I mean? Like, no one's going like, to be like, oh, I want to spend forever with that, so I'll stop at nothing. But the difference is, is that with God, he will never give up on you. He will never stop chasing you. He never stops knocking at your door until you answer. He will knock at that door until you open it and respond with love to him. God loves you so much that he came to earth and died so that we don't have to. And we don't even have to wait until this life is over to live this life of love. We're not like, oh, wait wait, wait till we get to heaven and then we can love the way that Jesus loves. No. We can do it right here and right now if we fall and stay in love with God. Because God is standing at your door and he's knocking. But he will never let himself in. Because that's not love. Love is not forced. God knocks and gives us every opportunity to answer. And if we answer, he's going to enter in. But we can't just peek at him through the window on our door. We can't just let him into the foyer. But he wants to come into the dining room and dine with us. He, wa- he must enter the innermost part of our home. And that's going to transform us. We have to let Christ all in because we can't be in love unless we're all in. Let's pray together, and I'm going to invite the band up as we pray. God, you've been so good to us. Even if we don't know it. You've been standing at the door and knocking all this time. God, if we've answered before and we've let you in and we've had dinner with you, but our hospitality is growing thin, revive us, God, from the inside out. That we will dine with you forever. God, if we are in this place where we are just on fire, madly in love with you, God, let us do the actions of love that it takes to stay in love with you because that's what you ask from us because that's what you give us. And God, if we haven't fallen in love yet, come into this place, you're here. Enter into us who haven't fallen in love with you in whatever way, whatever way we need, God. Open us up to know you, open us up to love you. Let us open the door and let you enter. We love you so much, God. You're just a prayer away from us. You're always there for us. Your love always shows itself through your actions. And ours needs you too. Amen.